it's my great privilege to introduce our mighty preacher for this morning. Uh, this is a man who is powerful, anointed, faithful, a man full of the Spirit of God, full of faith. He's one of the men that I like hanging around the most because whenever I'm around him, I feel like my faith increases and I get a passion for God more than I had before. And it's my great privilege to just welcome Marco Weening up to come and preach to us this morning. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Well done, that's good, nice. So, I remember when I was a child, when I was still living in the Netherlands, every single year, my parents would take our entire family to the open day of the Dutch Reformed Denominations Theological University. Yeah, that's a whole mouthful, isn't it? Every single year, they would take us to the open day of the theological university. Forget about Alton Towers or Disneyland. We went to the theological university every single year to party there. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Um, I remember one day walking past one of those days, walking past one of the lecture halls. And at one of the lecture halls, the plaque said, Professor so-and-so professor of Old Testament studies. And I remember looking at my parents and saying, that must be the most boring person alive. Who on earth wants to be an Old Testament scholar? That doesn't make sense to me whatsoever. Now, thankfully, I've grown a little bit. And now a couple of years later, I actually love the Old Testament. I love so much the first part of this book. And this morning, we are starting a new series around the person of Elijah and looking at an Old Testament prophet and an Old Testament person. And you know what? I've learned so much about the Old Testament as I've learned seeing the narratives of Scripture, seeing the narratives of God's goodness appear every single page of the Bible I've fallen in love with it. And I hope in this series, you will fall in love a little bit more with it too. So we are launching a new series, as you can see on the screen, and it's called Fire from Heaven. Come on. And I believe that this series is not just about learning more information in our head. But one of the things that I am praying about is that us as a church, us as King's Arms, everyone visiting today and everyone watching online will grow more in the revelation that God has for us in this series. And that He is good and that He wants to encounter us. And so turn to, the, to your neighbor quickly and say, this season is about fresh fire from heaven. Say it like you believe it. <laughs> so we jump into the biblical story before I'm reading the section that we're going to read, we're jumping in the biblical story uh, around 874 BC, before Christ, so just a couple of years ago. And in 874 BC, we get introduced to the character and the person of Elijah. 200 years before that, just to give you a little bit of context, in 1046 BC, basically the Israelites said to God, we don't just want you, God, as king. We want an earthly king, just like the people and the nations around us. All the pagan nations around Israel, they all would have had a monarchy. And the Israelites said to God, 
you are not enough as a king. We want a human king. And God knew that that would be a bad idea. It would not be a good idea to have a human king for Israel. But God, in his incredible grace, did grant him that. So obviously, we, most of us in this room know the story that he's introduced Saul, and now you have David and Solomon, who was able to build the temple, amazing privilege. Then Solomon's son was Rehoboam. And when we get to Rehoboam, actually Israel as one nation ceased to exist. And when Israel as one nation becomes two nations, in the north you have Israel and the capital of Samaria, and you can see that on the screen, a little map. And then in the south, you have Judah with the capital of Jerusalem. Now, it's really important if, to know that when we get to Elijah and so many other prophets in the Bible, actually they are prophesying often to one or the other. And knowing that when it talks about Israel, it's not talking about Israel and Judah, but about Israel, which is what we're talking about with Elijah, and then sometimes with Judah. Now, Judah had the privilege of having some kings that were okay. They are following God's will and God's way and worshiping God. Now, Israel in the north did not have that privilege at all. After the kingdoms divided, that's how the theologians call it, divided kingdom, Israel had no good kings at all. So when we get to 1 Kings 16, where we're going to read from now, and see the introduction of Elijah, we get introduced to the King Ahab. And the Bible actually says that King Ahab was the worst of all of them. So that is the context that we arrive now, and we're going to read from 1 Kings 16, verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, so that's the southern part, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel in the north. And he reigned in Samaria, the capital over Israel, 22 years. Pretty bad to have a king for 22 years that is evil. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ephbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He also set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, which is a fertility god, and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings before him. And now is the introduction of Elijah in first one. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew or rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine, east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine, east of Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And we are looking at the specific verse of the Lord commanded the ravens to feed him there. About 10 years ago, when I was still in the Netherlands, I had an encounter with God. And one of the things that God said to me in that encounter is, I want you to move from the city where you were born and raised in to go and get trained for the kingdom of God. 
So one of the, I, I discovered a couple of options over that next year of what I could do and where I could go to. And I had an opportunity to do a gap year to go to Sydney, to go to Dubai, to, to go to London, or go Bedford. <laughs> and I came to Bedford. And you know what? It is the best decision that I've ever made that I responded to God's call to this place because I absolutely believe that God is doing something absolutely beautiful in this town, in this region, and in this nation. And I'm so excited that I'm already here for eight years as God has transformed my life. And I believe God, even in this next season, is doing something phenomenal in this church and in this region. And I love how God introduces Elijah to this story, to his story. There is no background. There is not like a character building like a good novel. There is none of that. There is only, it says, Elijah came from Tishbe. How many of us have heard of Tishbe? No one. Including um, archaeologists and historians, there is no information about Tishbe whatsoever. On the world map, just like Bedford, it is an insignificant place. But oh, 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 God raised a prophet in that place. And he's doing something in this place that I believe is significant. And you know where, uh, where Elijah's significance comes from? Right in the beginning of this story. It is not from his wealth, not from his lineage, not from his education, not about how clever he is. None of that that the Bible talks about. But it comes from the first words that Elijah speaks. And it is this. As the Lord of Israel lives, whom I serve. Me and my house, I serve the Lord. I will serve God. And that's where Elijah's significance comes from. And that's where our significance comes from. Every single person in this room. It doesn't come from your background or your education or how clever you are or how good you are at articulating things or how wealthy you are. Whether you had a chunky inheritance to buy a house or whether you spent your 20s homeless on the streets. Your significance comes from declaring the God of Israel is alive. He is alive. And for me, I am serving him. I am serving him. And I love how God does that. And then straight after Elijah's introduction, in his ministry, God is sending Elijah immediately to the hidden place, into hiding. He came from insignificance, somehow ends up in the courts of the palace, stands in the authority of God and prophesies a drought. And then immediately after said that, that's, all of that is a total of one verse in the Bible. There's a lot of verses in the Bible. That's just one of them. And then God says, time for hiding. Time to go back to the place of hiding. I want you to go to the Kerif region and ravine. Now, Elijah must have thought, wow, I just touched my calling. This was my destiny. I stood in the courts of the palace, and suddenly I was prophesying, this is what I was made for. I'm a prophet of God. Why is he sending me into hiding? Why is he sending me away? Because God wanted to prepare him and stretch his faith so that he could see the showdown on Mount Carmel in a couple of, years, a couple of chapters later. 
and wanted to prepare him from that. God wanted to show Elijah that he is the perfect provider, that he is the perfect protector, and that he is a good God, and that he answers Elijah's prayers. But to give him faith for that, God wanted to show him that in the hidden place. In the next couple of weeks, you will see that God, through different circumstances, is teaching Elijah to partner with him in, uh, with the widow of Sarephat. Then he is raising her son and teaching him about resurrection life. And at the Mount Carmel, he's teaching about sovereignty and the power of God and other lessons as well. But this morning, we get the lesson that God is our provider and protector and that he always gives of himself. And I wonder if you've ever had moments in your life where you felt, this is what I'm made for. Whether your family, as a in a moment your family has been in harmony worshiping God, or you have had an amazing prophetic word for your colleague in the workplace, or you've seen someone healed, or you've had this incredible contract in the workplace after you prayed, and you're like, this is what I'm made for. And immediately after, it felt like God left you alone. And so many people here are in the hiding place, are in the hidden place through circumstances or through God putting you there. And you think it is punishment. But it is not punishment. It is God preparing you for the next bit and stretching your faith. You know, often in a difficult situation, the one thing that I say to God is, I do not want to miss the opportunity that you have for me in learning more about your character, in learning more about your nature. When I'm struggling with conflict with a person, or when I am like struggling with loneliness, or whatever is going, going on, I say, God, what have you got for me? What is the lesson that you've got for me? And it's so important that you respond in the hidden place, not with why or why not to God, but asking God, what have you got for me in this season? So when God sends Elijah into hiding, oh, sorry, PK. <laughs> so when God sends Elijah into hiding and sends the ravens, it is not just about physical provision. It is about the revelation of what God is like, and God is teaching Elijah this in the hidden place, that he always gives of himself, that he always gives of himself. In scarcity or abundance, in hiding or in promotion, in health or in pain, in peace or in conflict, he sets the table of grace. Every single morning that Elijah wakes up, for years he was in that place, God in his fresh new mercies every single morning had already set the breakfast table for Elijah. The ravens had shown up again. Breakfast is served, and Elijah didn't have to do anything apart from feast on his goodness. Feast on his goodness. I can imagine that every morning he woke up, and the little brook that he was drinking from was, had diminished a little bit more because it was a drought in the land, and eventually he had to move on because there was no water anymore. And every morning there was less water, but the ravens had appeared again. What is God saying? I will always show up for you. I will always provide for you. I will always be present. I will always protect you. And I'm sure at about day 432, something in his head would have gone, God will always show up. God will just always show up. Every single day, every afternoon, after his afternoon stroll, because there was nothing else to do, 
afternoon stroll, he sees this cloudless horizon. And on the farthest horizon, he sees the flock of ravens arriving again to bring him meat and bread. And the only thing on the sky. And again, he thinks, God is faithful. He shows him. You know, in a couple of chapters, that Elijah sends his servant to look seven times to look for the clouds, for the rain, when he's praying for the rain. I know that he had faith to send him seven times. Why? Because of the ravens. Because of the ravens. He knew every single afternoon the flock of birds would appear on the horizon. And now he had faith to pray for God to send the rain. Because he knew the flock of birds will arrive. The rain will arrive. So in your place of hiddenness, he's stretching your faith. And I believe, I even saw a picture about King's Arms. That his protective hand was over our church. Over King's Arms, over this region, and almost we've been a little bit invisible to the world around us. He's protected us from the world around us. But I just believe that he's multiplying our faith as a church in this season, as we are under the, in the hiddenness under his protected hand. The question to ask for us is, what are you teaching us? What are you showing of yourself? Someone asked me this week, Marco, how do you know that your depression won't come back? I used to struggle with depression for years and years. I got set free about 10 years ago, and I haven't struggled with depression since. For me, that's my story. That's not everyone's story. That's my story, and I thank God for it. And someone asked me, how do you know, Marco, it doesn't come back? And I'm like, and I was thinking, how do I know that Jesus Christ is alive? It's faith. Every single morning that I've woken up in the last 10 years, the ravens were there. God had set the table for me in the presence of my enemies. And I woke up every single morning, and God's goodness was there again. And my job is to get his word into me in knowing that he's shown up again. Shown up again. You know, this is what I love about the Old Testament so much. There is hundreds of pages and hundreds of years of history where God shows again and again and again. No matter how many times you reject me, I will never reject you. I will never reject you. I will always show my grace. I will always show up. I will never give, uh, give up in giving of myself. And we never run out on the mercies that God has laid for us at the table. God eternally gives of himself. It must be me by my preaching. I'm getting excited. You know, that is what love is that God gives. That is the definition of love that you don't have to give, but you do anyway. And that's what God exactly did with creating humanity and pursuing humanity again and again and again. He gave of Himself. When Adam and Eve woke up in the garden for the first time, they woke up to abundance all around them. What does that say? There is more than enough in God's kingdom. When Abraham woke up, God had made a covenant with him on his behalf while he was sleeping. That actually happened. While Abraham was sleeping, God said, I know that you won't be faithful to me all the time, but I will be faithful to you anyway. That's what the contract of Abraham was. When the disciples fall asleep, 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 <laughs> and then Jesus wakes them up. What had Jesus done? He had interceded a covenant for them while they were sleeping. When you wake up every single morning, 
there are new mercies and the breakfast table is set again. And it is your job to delight in that. It is your job to wake up in the morning or you commute to London or wherever you are going when, you are, when your kids run in your bedroom. It is your morning to take a moment and delight in the gifts that God has given you, mainly himself. This is what Ken Costa says. He is a London banker. We will never run out of grace or mercy. We will always be able to withdraw from the account that was settled by Christ on our behalf. Isn't that good news? God could have said to the Israelites, I told you that having kings in the first place would not be the solution. I, would have to, I could have told you it would be an absolute disaster. Look at King Ahab. What a mess that is created. There's Baal worship all over the place. There is all kinds of murder going on. There is like, it is evil. I told you, forget about you people. But he never does. He never, ever does. He never divorces his people. Have you ever wondered why the story of history doesn't start with Jesus Christ? Have you ever asked yourself, why doesn't the book just start with Jesus? Skip all over those problems and just get to Jesus straight away. That's what I would have done if I was God. You know, there's many reasons, I'm sure. But the Bible says that Jesus came at the, just at the right time. And here's one of the reasons that I think that didn't happen. Because God wanted to prove to humanity that no matter how many times we reject him, no matter, no, no matter how many times we run away in fear, that he will never, ever leave us alone. Never leave us alone and always accepts us again. You have a seat at the table. And this is what God was showing Elijah every single morning that he woke up to another feast, another day of provision, another reminder that God doesn't give up on his people. And this is why I love the culture of generosity, generosity that we have as King's Arms here. Because when we give of ourselves and our possessions, just like we've done with this gift day, we are modeling what it is like to be, not what it's like to be, but we are modeling to be a, like our creator. We are modeling generosity like our creator is doing. We are behaving like image bearers of God. You know, generosity is not a response necessarily to someone you like or if someone has done something well for you. That is a reward. That is not generosity. Generosity is this. No matter how you treat me, no matter what you do to me, no matter what happens, I'm going to give of myself. And I'm going to give of my possessions. That's what I love. This is why I love that we're putting on the Christmas banquet here for the elderly and for the lonely. It is such an act of generosity. It is such an act of exactly what God does with us. It is a prophetic picture of what this community is called to be and to do. It's to give of ourselves and of our possessions to serve those who not necessarily will be able to return it. I love how PJ was talking about the great banquet last week. This is the theme on God's mind. We hadn't planned this at all. But I just believe that God is inviting everyone in and join every pulling everyone in to the feast. See, when God gave us the gift of Jesus Christ, the ultimate gift, he was shouting this from the rooftops, I will not give up on our relationship. 
I will always provide for you. I will always give of myself. I will always show up when you need me. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected is the culmination of hundreds of pages of history where God constantly says, I am for you and not against you. And I'm giving you a seat at the table in the presence of my enemies. That's Psalm 23. I will make a feast for you while all your enemies and my enemies are around me. Whatever your enemies are, whether that is struggling in your marriage or struggling with financial provision or struggling with a prodigal or struggling with mental health problems. Whatever your enemies are, God makes a feast in the middle of that. And God says, my mercy will follow you all of your days. All of your days. Here's what the Bible says and constantly says that God is a giver. He's a generous host to us, humanity. And the Bible says that if you want to know what the Father is like, just look at the person of Jesus Christ. He models what God really is like. He is the visible image of the invisible God. And Jesus modeled that the Father is an abundant Father all the time, that He includes us into the feast. Here's a couple of examples. Jesus was accused by the Pharisees of being a glutton, which is like an overeater, <laughs> and a drunkard. What is he modeling? Abundance in his kingdom. Jesus, like we heard last week, just invites everyone to the wedding banquet. What's the point? There is enough for everyone. When Jesus multiplies the food, like Phil was alluding to, there is so many leftovers. What's the point of leftovers? There's more than enough for everyone. He doesn't send anyone home empty-handed. He says, I came to have life and have it abundantly. To give life and give it abundantly. He says in John 7, if you are thirsty, just come to me. There is enough. And from you will flow rivers of living water. He gives the prodigal son half of the estate. Generous give, oh God. He, a king, the parable of the king who give, forgives 10,000 talents. Jesus turning into wine. And then in Luke 12, this is what Jesus says. Consider the ravens. Here you go, the ravens again. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but God feeds them. And you are far more valuable than the birds. This is what Andrew Wilson says. Everything Jesus gives, gives to the crowds who follow him. Good news, sight, speech, spiritual cleanliness, hearing, bread, teaching, peace, social inclusion, forgiveness, table fellowship. Life is in some way a precursor of his gift of himself, of his own accord. A ransom for many. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And for me, it was really tempting to this, this morning to do a talk about financial provision or physical provision or trusting God for bread on the table. But this is what I love about the scriptures. There is multidimensional truth to all of it. And yes, in one dimension, he does provide for us. But that's because he is provider. That's what his name is. That's what his character is. That's what his nature is like. And that is the truth 
of the gospel that Jesus always gives of himself. And as long as you are breathing, you have the opportunity to join the table of grace, of feasting on his goodness every single morning that you wake up. Now, I know there is people in this room that you've never made that decision to say, it ain't working out for myself. I need a savior. I need Jesus Christ in my life. And can I invite you to the table this morning, to the spiritual table of his goodness and feast on that. And feast on that. This is a great opportunity. You know, the message of the ravens is not really about food. They're about Elijah becoming a man of God, trusting that God is trustworthy, stretching his faith, and it is his job to delight in the giver. You know, C.S. Lewis says, delight is not complete until it is expressed. This is what worship is. This is what you come for on Sunday morning. This is what you do when you wake up and when you go to bed. It is worship. Delight needs to be expressed. And that's how God is glorified. That is how God is made holy and most high in our hearts and in our lives. If we say, wow, thank you that you sent the ravens to me again this morning. Thank you that you are providing again. Thank you that you are my protector, God. Thank you that you are the ever-present help, that you are always present with me and that you love to show us your presence. Here's Romans 8, verse 32, and then we're going to pray. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Why don't we stand here and we're going to pray. On